with the 32nd pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast. I'm Fran Duffy, and Championship Weekend is here in college football, which means we have got a great slate of games between Friday and Saturday with the regular season behind us. We have got plenty of things to discuss this week on the show, and we begin things at the top with Draft Buzz, where I chat with Tony Pauline from DraftAnalyst.com to get the latest on some of the big-name prospects who have already declared for the draft as underclassmen before we talk about some of the big-time pass rushers and break down a couple of senior bowl prospects prospects after draft buzz will then transition to scouting report where this week i'm going to break down a player who has accepted his invitation to the senior bowl a little known wide out from umass and andy isabella who draft fans are well aware of but i think more nfl fans will get a better sense of him sooner rather than later i'll explain why with my notes on some of his college film after that we'll get to mr relevant where this week we've got the pleasure of welcoming in steve palazzolo from pro football focus steve is a senior analyst and does a ton of work with pff college So we'll talk with Steve about some of the top players graded by PFF and who Steve is excited about as we transition into the next phase of the pre-draft process. Next up, we've got our Saturday scouting segment where Ben Fennell drops in to talk about his takeaways from the Florida-Florida State game before he and I talk about some of the biggest matchups in this weekend's games. Then we wrap things up with our draft mailbag where I'll take a question or two from you guys out there and answer them here on the show. As always, we've got a ton going on this week, so let's get things started here with the latest and greatest surrounding the 2019 draft with our buddy Tony Pauline. It's time for some Draft Buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. It's time to welcome in my go-to source when it comes to breaking news surrounding the NFL draft. That's on a year-round basis. That's Tony Pauline, the draft insider extraordinaire from DraftAnalyst.com. And Tony, let's get things going this week with one of the biggest names off the edge in this class, and that's Cleveland Farrell from Clemson. There's been a lot of talk about this whole Clemson Tigers defensive line, how it's full of four potential first-round picks. We kind of dumped a little bit of water on that early on in the summer, that it isn't quite that good. But how high are we talking about with Cleveland Farrell? Where do you see him going at this stage of the process? I think it's good. It's just that a lot of these guys don't always play up to their level of ability. And there there are some kinks in in their game. But Farrell's going to go very high. I mean, you got your top three guys uh, in Nick Boza, Quinton Williams of Alabama, Ed Oliver of Houston, and then comes uh, Farrell off my board. But his versatility and his ability to do so many things so well is going to make him a very early selection, I would say top three. You know, the, the three guys I mentioned, Boza, Williams, and Ed Oliver, a little bit stouter against the run. You may say that Boza is slightly a better pass rusher, but that's debatable. But when you look at Farrell, I mean, he, he's a good pass rusher. He can play in space. He can drop off the line of scrimmage. He moves well laterally. You can use him out of a three-point stance. You can stand him over tackle. Uh, I, I mean, really a, a three-down player who is just going to get better as he physically matures. He has a, a, high, a great amount of upside. I think you could maybe make the argument that he's got a better upside than Nick Boza. I think when all is said and done, he's going to be a top-five pick. Wouldn't surprise me if he hops wow. into the top-three selections of the draft. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's really interesting. I, I'm going to be interested to see where he ends up going. I still do like uh, Christian Wilkins the most from that Clemson defensive line, and we'll see all those guys take the field on Saturday. ACC title game against Pitt. We, we all imagine that Clemson will come away with that victory, but certainly you can watch all four of those guys. And we're talking about Wilkins, Farrell, uh, Dexter Lawrence at nose tackle, and then Austin Bryant, the defensive end on the other side. And also, you've talked about Albert Huggins, the, the backup defensive tackle that gets plenty of reps there with that Tiger defense let's stay with pass rushers here Tony because two of the hottest names at that position reside in the SEC with senior Josh Allen from Kentucky who has already been announced for the senior bowl he will be down there in Mobile in late January and then Ja'Kai Polite a junior from Florida who really exploded onto the national stage this year how do you compare these two guys with somewhat similar body types and physical tools I would say their skill sets are a little bit different but physically they're very similar who do you think goes higher based off what you've heard of so far yeah, and, and polite, uh, as, as you kind of alluded to, very, uh, everyone expects him to enter the draft, and that's what I'm hearing. You know, polite is a great college ed- edge rusher. He's fast up the field. He plays with great balance. Uh, he's just very explosive. He's got a lot of suddenness to his game. Goes about 6'2", 260 pounds. My concern with polite is he reminds me a lot of Dante Fowler Jr., who was basically a bit one-dimensional in the sense that, you know, he's a great college pass rusher, great up the field, very disruptive force some ability to make plays in pursuit, but he was just a sort of a, a one-dimensional pass rusher who was able to exploit opponents on the college level. Uh, Josh Allen has got much better size, much better build. He goes six foot five, 255 pounds. He's likely to run under 4'7". And go back to what I said about Farrell uh, of Clemson. I mean, he's, uh, he's very versatile. He does so many things well. You can, you can have him line up in a three-point stance. You can stand him over tackles a pass rusher. He's shown a lot of skill dropping off the line in space this year. So, you know, on third and five, you can use him as a pass rusher or you can drop him off into, uh, into space, into coverage to cover the tight ends. I just think that Allen has a much more polished game right now, obviously in large part because he's been on the college scene for a lot longer. I think he's got better size or he's got a better build. He's got better growth potential. I just think with Polite, there's a bigger bust factor, as we've seen with the Dante Fowler Juniors, with the, uh, the Vernon Golstons of the world, those guys who are great college edge rushers but really don't have developed games and, and really when they get to the next level don't do much more. I just think that Allen is, is, is the safer pick. I don't know if he's going to go earlier. I would select him earlier. We'll have to wait and see what happens as we go through the workouts. But I, I don't think you can go wrong with Josh Allen. And real quickly on the underclassmen front, Tony, you talked about you know Ja'Kai Polite and how he could potentially declare for the draft. Well, his teammate, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, the safety for the Gators, he officially declared for the draft on Monday, along with a few other big names. You had D.K. Metcalf, the wide receiver from Ole Miss, who officially declared last week. Nikhil Harry, the star wideout from Arizona State. Rashawn Gary, the super high upside pass rusher from Michigan. Both of those players also declared on Monday. So any buzz on how high Gardner-Johnson is going to go in this class and any thoughts on those other three names I know you were ahead of the curve on a couple of these guys in terms of them declaring but now that they've made it official are there any thoughts there on how high any of these guys can go and then also with Chauncey Gardner-Johnson I graded Gardner-Johnson as a third round pick uh, before the season I like his game Uh, he's a solid run defender he's got next level ball skills he's got excellent range the question with Gardner-Johnson is how tall is he I mean is he going to measure at least five foot ten uh, I'm hearing conflicting reports. If he comes in at five nine and a half, he's likely to fall into the third day of the draft. If he 
five ten, and he turns into a good workout, he could be a third round pick as I as I stamp them entering the season. He's a very good football player, but with the underclassmen, you don't know the measurables. And same thing with Nikhil Harry. I mean, everybody uh, loves his game. You watch him on you watch him on the college level. He's fantastic. But it's going to come down to speed with Nikhil Harry. I mean, is he just a guy, and we've talked about this in the past, is he just a guy that makes acrobatic receptions and wins out for the contested throws on the college level? Uh, or is he able to get separation? Uh, does he have some quickness? I'm not just talking about 40 time. I'm talking about the 10 split. I'm talking about the shuttle time. Uh, you know, can he separate the next level? Because if all he can do is win out for the 50-50 throws, he's going to drop in, in the uh, draft. He's not going to go as high as, a lot of people think. Uh, Metcalf is going to come down to his health. It's going to come down to those uh, combine uh, exams, the MRIs. What's the situation with the, uh, with the uh, neck? Is it healthy? And when they, look at, when they do those exams, they're really looking at, is this guy going to last? Is he going to make it to a second contract? If they're basically assured or, or, or they're reasonably confident that he's going to be healthy and he'll make it to the second contract, he's going to go high. But if they feel there may be an issue with that neck and he's basically a one-and-done type of guy and he may not make it to the second contract because of health, it's a red flag and he's going to drop. It's just sort of the same thing with Gary to a much lesser extent. He had that shoulder issue this year, wasn't on top of his game. I absolutely love him. I think he's, going to be a, I think he's worthy of a top-ten pick. He may have slipped, but the fact is with Gary, he's a, he's a tremendous edge rusher like we talked about before with Polite and, and Allen uh, and even Farrell. And he's a guy that's got great growth potential. He can fill out to be a stout run defender at the next level, so he's going to go very early. Before we get into some more of these senior bowl announcements, Tony, one guy that has yet to get that invite, and it's funny, I actually asked Jim Nagy about this guy on Twitter over the weekend, and that's Daniel Wise, the defensive tackle from Kansas. I liked him a lot over the summer. I know you were a fan as well. He's gotten that Shrine Game invitation, but uh, I think you and I both believe he should get a senior bowl invite, right? Hey, absolutely. I mean, I'm looking at my uh, defensive tackle board right now. He's number six on my, on my defensive tackle board for seniors. Uh, when, when, when you're just, uh, you know, not, not putting in any of the Alabama underclassmen or even the Auburn underclassmen. He's number six. He's ahead of Dontavious Russell who, from Auburn who got the, accepted the uh, Senior Bowl invite. Obviously, with the Senior Bowl, you're going to invite a lot of SEC players. You're going to try and get as many, as, as many Alabama and Auburn guys to attend as possible because that raises local interest. Um, but, but, I mean, I, 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 I'm very surprised that at this point in time, Wise didn't get uh, that Senior Bowl invite and has already accepted the Shrine Game invite. It could turn out he play, he's going to play in both. Uh, but I don't really see that many people anyway on my board. You know, maybe uh, Kingsley KK of, of Texas A&M. A lot of people like uh, Terry Beckner Jr. of Missouri. Dorian Daniels of Oklahoma State is getting some high grades. Uh, you know, if you're going to invite eight uh, senior defensive tackles uh, to the Senior Bowl. Uh, I, I think Wise right now, on my board anyway, fits in with the top eight. Does Christian Wilkins show up to the Senior Bowl? Does Jerry Tillery show up to the Senior Bowl? You know, obviously I, I would have expect a Marcus uh, Christmas of Florida State to get a Senior Bowl invite. It would behoove him to show up. Albert Huggins of Clemson, who we mentioned before, I'm sure he's going to get a Senior Bowl invite. He definitely deserves one. Um, but even still, I, I mean, Right now, Wise is in my top eight senior defensive tackles. I'm surprised, I'm surprised he didn't get one. It wouldn't surprise me if he eventually gets one, one way or another. He, he becomes the eighth defensive tackle or one of the top guys pulls out for injury or, you know, with, with Christian Wilkins, they're in the national championship game. They're just playing late into January. It may be too much for him. 
and why it's hopefully uh, hopefully ends up in Mobile this uh, this uh, January. Yeah, I didn't think it was close watching like Daniel Wise versus Dontavious Russell. Like I, uh, Wise is a far better player in my mind, and even Terry Beckner, like, another guy you mentioned. I I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think that he should be down there in Mobile, and we'll see. I think at the end of the day, you're right that he probably will end up there. There's just natural attrition uh, as we get closer to the game. You'll get guys that drop out, whether it's injuries or other issues. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure we'll kind of see him down there as well. But um, like I said, I even I asked Jim Nagy about it on Twitter, and he basically said with the numbers at the position, it could be tough, but you know he's going to hold out hope. But, yeah, we'll see. Uh, I thought. You know, Wise was one of my favorite defensive tackles that I studied back in the offseason. But uh, let's get into a few of these names now that we will see in Mobile. And I want to ask you about a trio of names. Number one, Chase Allen, a converted safety who's now a linebacker for Utah. Uh, Chris Lindstrom, who's a guard that has some experience playing tackle as well for the Eagles up there at Boston College. And then I know you've got some buzz on this small school prospect, Kalen Saunders from Western Illinois as well. Yeah, Chase Hansen of Utah, the converted safety, is playing linebacker, and he's playing out of his mind this year. I, I mean, he is—he—he he, he entered, entered the season as a uh, as a priority free agent, uh, leads Utah in tackles. Uh, like you said, converted safety, very athletic, more of a chase linebacker, a running a running chase linebacker. Who's I see what you did there. In pursuit, shows some ability and coverage. Uh, Hansen's a guy who. You know, enters enters the senior season as a free agent prospect. Right now, he grades out as a six rounder. Uh, you're gonna when we when we're at senior bowl practices, we're gonna want to see him in coverage. We're gonna want to see him how he holds up against the tight ends, and really how he does in, in full scrimmage, taking on blocks uh, in run in running drills. Lindstrom's been a favorite of mine, and Lindstrom's getting a lot of buzz in scouting circles. A lot of teams have him right now as a fourth round pick, a former tackle who basically moved inside to his natural position of guard this year. He's a stout, tough guy. Reminds me a bit of Chris Snee. Not as, as athletic as Snee, but has that same build, that same Boston College tough guy mentality. Really good in a small area, which I think is going to prevent him from jumping into the third round. But again, you know, when, when we uh, were at senior bowl practices, I think Lindstrom's going to win out in those one-on-ones may struggle at times if they ask him to block in motion and get out in the second level. But still, in the right system, he's going to be a very good player at the next level. Saunders is one of my favorite guys, and he's a guy that when you watch the Western Illinois film, you just can't help but notice him because he's omnipresent. Kind of reminds me of Cedric Ellis of USC from all those years ago. Huh. Same sort of build, six foot one half inch, 310 to 315 pounds, runs and plays in the low four fives. He's outstandingly quick off the snap. He's got a great first step. He's explosive. He's not just a gap occupier. He's not just a small area guy. He can penetrate the line of scrimmage, change direction, sort of a three-technique type of uh, tackle uh, with excellent size, carries his size well. Uh, Not the strongest guy, not someone who's going to bull rush opponents. But, again, you know, when we go to the senior bowl and he's matched up against Chris Lindstrom in those one-on-ones, you know, it's the type of situation where Lindstrom's going to have to get his hands on Saunders real quick because if he doesn't, Saunders has got that explosion off the snap with that great first step to beat him. So good to see Saunders there. I think he's a draftable prospect to have him as a six-rounder right now. A lot of fun to watch on film. Look forward to seeing him at the Senior Bowl. 
Yeah, I think Chase Hansen, he's one of three linebackers that the Senior Bowl announced this week, and uh, all three of these guys, and that's Hansen, uh, Jermaine Pratt from NC State, and also Drew Tranquil from Notre Dame, all three guys, former safeties that made the switch to linebacker throughout their college career. So interesting to see all three of those guys. We'll see them down in Mobile uh, in person late in January. All right, Tony, for our prospect preview this week, it's it's championship weekend, a lot of big games here Friday night and then Saturday. Let's look at one of the biggest ones, obviously, and that's going to be the SEC title game, 4 o'clock on, on, S, on CBS, Georgia-Alabama. Not a, There's too much to kind of wade through here to go prospect by prospect, but who are some of the matchups, who are some of the individual games within the game that you'll be keeping an eye on here in this game? The Georgia defenders have the most to gain or lose in this, in this contest because no one's been able to really stop or even slow down the Alabama defense. Mississippi State slowed them down for a while, but then they just exploded. And you look at that Georgia defense, DeAndre Baker, cornerback, likely a, uh, I don't think he's a late first rounder, more of a second rounder right now. J.R. Reed, the safety, if he enters the second round pick. Jonathan Ledbetter, the pass rusher, defensive end. Uh, scouts have him as a fourth rounder. I have him as a late second rounder. DeAndre Walker, the outside line, uh, pass rushing outside linebacker. Uh, more of a second, third-round guy. I mean, they've got to get fresher up the field, uh, those guys, along with the Trez Patrick, the inside linebacker. They've got to try and get uh, get pressure. They're all going to have different responsibilities. Baker and Reed are going to be responsible for covering the deep pass that uh, Alabama throws so well. Uh, Ledbetter and, uh, and Walker are going to try and get uh, pressure up the field on the quarterback who can beat you with his arms and with his feet. And then the Trez Patrick is going to have to guard against Irv Smith Jr., one of the fastest-rising tight ends in the nation. So, really, these guys, this can be a statement game for Georgia. No one's been able to contain or stop the Alabama D offense. That's the only way Georgia's going to be able to stay in this game. And they have the talent, guys on the college level who project well to the NFL. It's going to be an interesting game to watch. The Georgia, guy, the Georgia defense doesn't have great stats this year. They don't have great sack stats. I think off season they've got 20 sacks. That's not a great number. Six interceptions, but they're quietly productive. They play good assignment de- uh, defense. Uh, they remain disciplined. They don't have a lot of breakdowns. I-, I mean, we'll see what happens against Alabama. Their backs are up against the wall, but it's going to be a great matchup, not only from a college perspective, but from a scouting perspective. Well, one player that will be in the centerpiece of this game, and he's the subject of our mock draft roundup. Draft Network's Ben Solak did a new mock draft, had the Eagles picking 15th overall with Alabama free safety Deontay Thompson as the pick for the Eagles. Now, I know we talked about Deontay Thompson a few weeks back, probably about two months ago, uh, with in regards to him being in the middle of round one. As more film has started to come in and you're starting to talk to more people around the business, are you, have you kind of seen a little bit more and heard a little bit more about Deontay Thompson and how high he could go if he were to declare? Do you think that that's fair value for a player like Thompson? Depends on how he runs. I mean, you look at uh, what was the, uh, the, the safety last year from Alabama, Harrison, who uh, really dropped in the draft because he, uh, he ran so poorly. He is growing on me. Uh, Ronnie Harrison was uh, the player from last year that, that dropped because he ran so poorly. Thompson on film is really starting to grow on me. I mean, I like his total game. I like his range. I like his ability to get outside the numbers to the flanks to make plays. I like his ball skills. His athleticism pops off the film to you. I mean, he's able to make uh, pass defenses and pass deflections in all types of contorted positions, plays with balance. 
doesn't get you know, typical uh, Alabama defensive back. Really doesn't blow many coverages. Plays within the system. Plays within himself. You know, but like with everything else, with underclassmen, you got it. You want to wait and see how big he is and how fast he is. I, I think mid round one is fair value based off of the film. We'll have to see what happens on the workouts to see if uh, if he deserves that mid first round grade based on his computer numbers. Well, we will see. Well, Tony, thank you again for joining us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. We will talk to you here next week on Draft Buzz. Look forward to it. Great stuff from Tony, who you can follow on Twitter, at Tony Pauline. And by now, you know you can always follow me, at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the content I'm working on over at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. So things like the Eagle Eye in the Sky articles, the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, our Saturday scouting column, whatever X's and O's content you're looking for, they'll be there as well as on PhiladelphiaEagles.com or on the Eagles mobile app. All right, let's keep things rolling here. I teased earlier that I would break down UMass wide receiver Andy Isabella. He is one of the first names on the list of acceptances this year to the Senior Bowl. He's the subject this week in our scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, Andy Isabella, five foot nine, 190 pounds. He was a finalist this year for the Bolitnikoff Award and was one of the first names announced for the Senior Bowl last week. And Tony Pauline had brought him up on the show a few weeks back, and when Tony brought him up, I said, you know what, I may, better make sure I study him. So here's what I found. I saw a three-year starter in Mark Whipple's pro-style offense. He lined up both at Z and in the slot. So he's got that inside-outside versatility, very short. He's got tiny hands, extremely short arms, so size will be an issue for him. But this is a twitched-up kid. He's got the quickness and the suddenness to separate quickly. His game is not just about quickness, though, because he gets to top speed in a hurry, and he's able to change gears mid-route to pull away from defenders. He can work vertically in the NFL, and I think he could be a factor in the deep passing game. He flashed the ability to create quick separation against press man coverage with his feet outside the numbers. He knows how to attack a defender's technique. He was quick in and out of breaks, and he can separate on his own. I liked the ability that he could show to stop on a dime on comebacks and make himself available outside the numbers. He's got some savvy to him as a route runner, so I liked what I saw there. And he does a nice job on selling that vertical stem before breaking laterally. Sold double moves really well as well. Has the awareness and the body control to finish with two feet and bounds along the sideline. And I thought he did a really good job locating the deep ball as well. You know, he looked it in through his eyelids and adjusted to the ball mid-flight to finish at the catch point. Very tough and slippery with the ball in his hands as well. He would immediately look to get upfield, and he was used on reverses and end-arounds and screens just to get the ball in his hands very quickly in that UMass offense. Now, from a negative standpoint, again, size will be a little bit of an issue for him at the next level, as will his play strength. I think he'll benefit from a scheme that could kind of cover him up at the line of scrimmage and keep defenders off him in press coverage. There were a lot of double catches on tape as well, and there weren't a lot of drops, but you could see he kind of fought the ball a little bit, a little bit of a body catcher at times as well, particularly over the middle of the field. So obviously he's not going to be a contested catch guy. I'm a little bit worried about his hands, and he's not a big-time blocker, obviously, at his size. So at the end of the day, when I look at this guy, I look at a player that, for a smart and creative game planner, he could be a key cog in an offense. You know, Not maybe a primary pass catcher, but he can impact all three areas of the field, short, intermediate, and deep. He can work inside. He can work outside. That being said, I think he does fit best as a slot guy. Size is a bit of concern, like I said, as are his hands as a, as a pass catcher to a lesser extent. 
I actually think he can play like a Jamison Crowder type of receiver, who the Eagles may see on Monday night against Washington. I think he can be a starting quality receiver on a good team. I mentioned the, the issues with the hands. I'm a little bit more concerned uh, with his size than with his hands. Yeah, look, he can track the ball really well. I think if you, as long as you can show quality ball skills, if, you're, if your hands are a little bit questionable, that's something I'm willing to look past a little bit. And I think that's how I feel about Isabella. Not really a big concern. He's actually one of my top-rated wide receivers uh, so far that I've watched. I'm excited to see Andy Isabella in person down in Mobile. So that's how I see Isabella again, one of the initial announcements for the Senior Bowl in January. But let's keep this show going. I was happy to be joined by Steve Palazzolo from Pro Football Focus on Mr. Relevant to talk about some of his favorite players in the country. Let's get to that chat right now. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Pleased to be joined this week on the show by Steve Palazzolo from Pro Football Focus. You can follow Steve on Twitter at PFF underscore Steve. He is a senior analyst and the director of video content for the hardworking guys over at PFF. He's also a former minor league pitcher and startlingly tall, dashingly handsome man who I always enjoy chatting with about prospects and about the game. And Steve, welcome back to the show, man. Good to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me, and always uh, appreciate the intro. That was great. That was one of the best I've ever had. <laughs> you just like bring me to parties and stuff like that, and I can just like intro your entrance every time you walk into the room. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. All right, well, let's get things rolling here with a guy I actually just finished talking about earlier in the show, and that's UMass wide receiver Andy Isabella. I know you guys think pretty highly of him, so just give me your overall thoughts. on. I don't know if you've watched him, but just what makes him stand out so much based off how you guys grade him overall? Yeah, he's been our, our top-graded receiver this year. And, you know, I think the big thing, you immediately get this, well, he's you know he's a little short, you know, future slot receiver and all that stuff. But um, he's got good speed. He's a pretty good athlete. Um, you know, our grading system is based off of production, and he has just produced moving the chains, uh, making things after, happen after the catch, been one of the better uh, deep receivers in the nation. Out of everybody in the draft class, he has 705 deep receiving yards that's passes of 20 plus yards that's that's uh, tops in the nation so uh isabella i think is a guy that a lot of people are saying is going to test extremely well and uh when you pair that with the production makes for a very intriguing prospect at the next level He's going to be one of those guys that I think checks a lot of boxes where, you know, analytically people are going to like him. I think tape people are going to really like him. Uh, the athletically, I think he'll test well. Character-wise, I've heard nothing but good things. Like, I think a lot of people are going to be really high on this kid. And it's like you said, it, he's not just like a prototype, like undersized white receiver who's going to be a slot guy. Like, he can, he can work vertically, too. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's uh, it's important because we've seen it on tape. We've seen – um, you know, I think he's got a pretty good feel for route running and the nuance that, that you expect out of a slot receiver. But, you know, much like a guy like Sterling Shepard a couple of years ago, I thought Shepard was a guy who was an excellent slot receiver but could win on the outside. I think Isabella has some of those uh, some of those traits that a guy like Sterling Shepard has. They're not the same type of player overall, but, you know, it reminds me a little bit of that where you don't have to keep a guy in the slot. You probably win in, in multiple places. Well, a lot of Eagles fans are looking for that deep threat at wide receiver, Steve. And I know Isabella can get downfield, like I mentioned, make plays. Uh, but who is a prospect that you feel has really proven to be an outstanding deep threat and should be able to do that in the NFL? Yeah, it's, it's definitely an interesting year for receivers because there's so many guys who are up in that six foot one to six foot three range. So you've got some big guys, and then you've got you know speed guys like Marquise Brown over at, at Oklahoma. Brown has you know every single week we see him just burning defense. Uh, granted, it's the Big 12, and they get you know outside receivers in the Big 12. They get that free release uh, when they run their deep post routes. Usually, don't have 
safeties over the top, but he's always running behind the defense. I think from a pure speed standpoint, Marquise Brown from Oklahoma uh, really brings it. Staying in the Big 12, guy like Hakeem Butler, who has that massive body type and just really, really good ball skills. Uh, he went from a guy I think was, you know, I don't think you can really even have sleepers in today's NFL draft if you follow enough people that you and I follow, Fran. I mean, everybody's talking about somebody, right, that, uh, that they love. And Butler was one of the guys I was really keeping an eye on, and I think he's starting to get a lot more publicity over at Iowa State. So I think his size and downfield ball skills are excellent. I look at a guy like Anthony Johnson from Buffalo. He's had a few years of, I think, showing the ability to stretch the field a little bit. You know, Kelvin Harmon from, from NC State. So there's a lot of, I think, big-bodied receivers and then a speed guy like Marquise Brown, you know, guys that you know really have a chance to uh, stretch the field at the next level. So you mentioned there's a lot of receivers in this class, but this class really has been kind of dubbed as the year of the defensive line, Steven. So I'm really interested to know who are the guys that, that you really like, whether it's off the edge or on the inside, who really grades out well for you guys in your system? Yeah, from a pure grading standpoint this year, it's been Quinn and Williams. And, you know, he's another guy. We've been – he's dominated our grading system since week one. And then it was nice to see, I think, you know, a lot of other – uh, people catch on and you know have Quinn and Williams as, as one of their top guys. So he is just the best interior disruptor that we've seen this year. He's gonna he's on pace to I think have the, the highest grade we've ever given an interior defensive lineman. Again, going from a play by play, pure production standpoint. So you know is he defeating blocks? Is he disrupting plays as a pass rusher? Uh, he ticked all of those boxes. He's got the fifth most pressures among interior defensive linemen in the nation. Uh, you know, he's got the most uh, defensive stops, those tackles in and around the line of scrimmage uh, that are, you know, for, for offensive losses. So Quinton Williams, I think, um, I think he's going to be, the, I think he's the top interior defensive lineman off the board. I mean, I think Nick Bose is just in a different conversation because he's, you know, he's been the top edge, I think, for a couple of years now. Um, so I think it's Bosa and Quinton Williams who will be the top two defensive linemen off the board. And then I think it's, uh, I think there is not question marks after that. I think there's just a ton of depth, but then it's trying to figure out, are these guys top 10 players, top 20 players? I think guys like, a guy like Jeffrey Simmons from Mississippi State has shown that he can be that three-down disruptor at the next level. Uh, Christian Wilkins, I still have some question marks about him just because he hasn't rushed the passer as efficiently as you would have liked to see throughout his entire career. And I have the same question about Ed Oliver. I don't think Ed Oliver is the slam dunk top five, top 10 overall pick that a lot of people have um, – you know, maybe perceived through the years. I like Ed Oliver. I think he's a, he's a fantastic player, but still think he has to add some polish as a pass rusher. And, you know, I think he's the guy that, you know, not to say that he can't get there as a pass rusher. He just hasn't shown that he can do it at a, a high enough level, given how incredible of an athlete he is. So I think that's my question mark with Ed Oliver, that he's in, in kind of keeps him out of that top 10 to 15 range for me right now. Well, sticking with defensive linemen and pass rushers, Steve, you're a Gators guy. So let me ask you your thoughts about Ja'Kai Polite, the underclassman pass rusher down there in Gainesville. How do you feel about his transition to the NFL at this point? I, I like it a lot. I mean, I, th I thought Florida's defense coming in, you know, they always seem to have uh, a first-rounder, right? I mean, somewhere, first-round pick, um, especially on the defensive line, or at least a potential first-rounder. Last year, Taven Bryan breaking out. Wasn't really sure who it was going to be this year, but Polite – uh, stepped up almost immediately at the beginning of the season, showed uh, all of the you know edge rush traits you're looking for from the burst and the bend, and then you know from a pure production standpoint, just um, you know fantastic season with you know 38 total pressures on only 240 pass rushes. So I think he translates nicely. I think he's probably in the back end of that first round uh, mix. Uh, you know the question is going to be just how much 
everybody loves this really loaded defensive line class to see if he gets pushed down just a little bit because there are uh, so many potential first-round picks in this class. But I like Polite a, a lot, and he's been uh, absolutely one of the most improved players in the nation so far this season. So one thing, Steve, that I like to ask everybody that comes on the show is just for a sleeper, who's a guy that not enough people are talking about that you feel just deserves more hype? Yeah, I mean, staying with the defensive line, you know, guy uh, Raheem Bingham from Arkansas State. So, you know, really, yeah, really know. going down there. But he's got he's got good uh, pass rush numbers. You know, they've had they've had a few productive pass rushers come out of there the last couple of years, but Bingham looks like the best athlete. And then if you watch watch the film against Alabama when he goes up against Jonah Williams, uh, it, it's only you know one or two snaps, but especially this one outside spin move that he puts on Jonah Williams, who's probably the best tackle prospect in the draft. You know, so just showing that he could do it against the better competition and, again, just on a snap-to-snap basis has been fantastic. So I think Bingham's a guy. I'm, I'm not saying he's a first-rounder or anything like that, but as far as sleeper, edge defenders, defensive end types, you know, I'd put him uh, very much in that mix uh, because he does have that – looks like he's got that NFL-type athleticism that will translate, unlike some of the previous guys at Arkansas State who were just really productive but just you know, maybe didn't have the NFL skill set. And then one final question for you, Steve. Who's a guy or two that maybe the masses are high on and have him in round one of mock drafts, but you guys just don't see see it with how he grades out? Uh, every quarterback, pretty much. <laughs> I, I just think it's going to be a tough year for quarterbacks. So whether it's Drew Locke, whether it's Daniel Jones, uh, you know, guys like that who are getting hype at this point, who I, I, I just think you know they might just get forced. I think the good part is that the NFL is not really QB needy right now. I don't think you're going to see anything like last year where, um, you know, up to 10 teams could be potentially taking quarterbacks. I think you have a lot of teams like the Saints or the Chargers who might be looking for their, you know, the heir apparent to, to develop. And I think it's not a bad year for that. But um, I think some of those, you know, the Drew Locks and Daniel Joneses of the world, I think they're, going to, they're more of those, you know, second, third round type of players that might get pushed up into the first round. And I think, I just think there's going to be a lot of quarterbacks that get a lot of first-round hype who just uh, probably shouldn't be there at this point, and it's you know going to be this supply and demand type of deal just because there's just not a lot of QB talent in this class, especially compared to what we saw last year. I think that's a great point about it. It's a great year for the heir apparent and teams that need that guy. But, Steve, thanks so much for joining us again. You can follow Steve on Twitter at PFF underscore Steve. Check out all of his great content, whether it's at PFF and PFF College. Steve, we'll talk to you again soon, my man. Appreciate you coming on again. Yeah, you got it. Thanks for having me. Great stuff, as expected there, from Steve Palazzolo. Hopefully we can get him back on the show again very soon. But before we transition to our next segment, you guys know how much I love it when you tweet out the show or you post about it on Facebook. What we love most here, though, is when you take a minute and you head over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating, and even leave us a comment. I wanted to give some love to Richard, who went onto our Apple Podcast page, left a rating and a question about Missouri quarterback Drew Locke. And Richard asked, Fran, can you explain Drew Locke's issues this season? And if Justin Herbert stays in school, a quarterback from Oregon, please rank the top five quarterbacks coming off the board. Love the podcast. Well, great question, Richard, and I'm glad you asked because, as some of you may remember, I had Locke as my number one senior quarterback entering the year. I did have uh, Justin Herbert as my number one quarterback, but obviously he is a junior who some think may go back for his senior season. Now, I studied Locke over the summer, and I was intrigued because he's a big kid with light feet, pretty good athleticism. He's a big arm kid, uh, surprising touch to the deep part of the field as well. The issue 
pictures I saw on film over the summer included his accuracy and ball placement. That was a little bit of an issue. Didn't throw with anticipation, but his footwork was a major concern. Now, I watched just one game so far of him on film this season against Purdue early in the year. I think it was week two, week three, uh, and I did not see those same issues mechanically in his lower half, and I was a really good sign for me personally. Uh, you know, Locke had a new offensive coordinator this year. Derek Dooley left the Dallas Cowboys. I believe he was the wide receivers coach, and he's now the offensive coordinator there. This is Derek Dooley, the former Tennessee head coach, and I'm sure he worked with him over the offseason uh, on his footwork and his mechanics. Now, to be fair, I've only studied the one game of Locke so far, so we'll see if that was still a consistent issue. I did watch the Georgia game on TV. I did watch a good chunk of the Alabama game live on TV as well. And in those games, Locke wasn't at his best, but I'd also argue that the team around him did not really help him that much. There were some bad drops. There were bad penalties. There were busts in protection. I thought guys were really pressing, and I could probably throw Locke into that group as well. I thought he was pressing a little bit in those games. But at the end of the day, Locke is a big-armed kid who is a little bit inconsistent with his accuracy and his ball placement, no question. Uh, I am excited to dig more into his film from this year, but the biggest issue I said, uh, like, like I said that I saw was really his mechanics. If he could just kind of fully fix some of those issues – hopefully that would fix some of the inaccuracy issues, but uh, I'm not sure ultimately how much better he'll get in those areas. So for the second part of the question now, Justin Herbert were to go back, and if Herbert did come out, I think he would be the top quarterback selected. I still think that he should go back. I'd like to see him go back to school for one more year. Obviously, there are other juniors who could declare. I'd keep an eye on Steven Montez from Colorado just because of the coaching change there. There's been some buzz about Tyree Jackson from Buffalo declaring for the draft. You can actually see Tyree Jackson on Friday night in the MAC title game. Uh, Daniel Jones from Duke, it sounds like he could declare. He's a redshirt junior. Obviously, people talk about Dwayne Haskins, but I really feel like he should go back to Ohio State, even if they do have a new head coach next year, which is entirely possible. Uh, Jared Stidham, it sounds like he could declare from Auburn, but that hasn't been announced yet, obviously. So let's leave those guys out since there's nothing official there. Stick strictly with the seniors. And to me, the top five senior quarterbacks are Drew Locke from Missouri, who, you know, again, I, I think he projects as a starting quarterback in the NFL. He might not be a top 10, top 15 quarterback, but a starting quarterback in the NFL based off what little I've seen so far. Uh, number two, I'd go Will Greer from West Virginia. I'd put him in a tier below Locke at the number two spot. I think there are some things to work with there. He's been through a lot. Just as you know, he's just a little bit inconsistent. I think he's probably just as inconsistent as Drew Locke, honestly. You know, he has just has bigger numbers to lean on playing in that offense. Uh, number three, I'd go with a guy I've watched three games from this season. That's Easton Stick from North Dakota State. He was Carson Wentz's former backup with the Bison. I like a lot of what he brings to the table, but his lack of arm talent, I think, is you know that's got him more of a backup quarterback level at the at the in the NFL. Number four, I'll go with Ryan Finley, who I'd put in that same group as Stick and. That then lastly, you've got Clayton Thorson, who I see as more of a developmental backup. I think there are some traits to work with there. He's just too up and down to view as a developmental starter in my mind. Those would be my top five senior quarterbacks. Now, I haven't watched Jordan Tamu from Ole Miss. I haven't watched Manny Wilkins from Arizona State or Drake, Jake Browning from Washington, uh, Taron Christian from South Dakota State, Trace McSorley from Penn State. He's going to be the senior bowl. Haven't studied any of those guys yet, but from the guys I've studied, those would be my top five. So great question, Richard, and thanks for all the support on our Apple podcast page. And again, if you want your question answered, feel free. Follow in his footsteps. Leave a comment on there. It'll be answered here on the show. All right, it's about that time. Let's welcome in Ben Fennel. Look at some of the biggest matchups to watch this weekend in college football. It's time for Saturday Scouting.
Time to welcome in my friend Ben Fennel, who you can follow on Twitter at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. Ben, let's get things going here because we've got a lot to cover here today. And let's start with the game you were at this past weekend, Florida against Florida State. And a lot of players on both sides, you've obviously done Florida quite a bit so far this year. But uh, who was a player that stood out to you from the Florida State sideline? Florida State, you know, this team, there's a lot of talent on the team. They're just not very well coached, very poor discipline, tons of penalties, a lot of big plays that came back. There's a lot of players to get excited about in Florida State. I saw DeAndre Francois throw around in pregames. This guy is rocked up like a running back. He looks a lot like Russell Wilson. Hmm. Same stature, about 6'1", and just thick. Absolutely rocked up. Big, big arm, man. He can howitz that ball about 50, 60 yards in warm-ups. He's just way too inaccurate during the game, and his decision-making uh, leaves a little bit to be desired. But he's a really good-looking kid throwing around in pregames. He's got a big arm. Yeah, I know watching him early in his career, one thing that stood out was he was just getting pummeled in the pocket, but he always got right back up, except for uh, week one last year. He's a Alabama. tough kid. He's yeah. a competitor. But, you know, unless you're going to be an accurate player and make good decisions in the pocket, you're not going to be a prospect at the next level. Sure. So let's talk about uh, the Florida sideline because, like I said, you have done a lot of their games so far this year. So you've seen a lot of these guys in person. But let's talk about some players that maybe we haven't paid a ton of attention to. And we'll start with the running back, Jordan Scarlett. I know he had a huge day the last time you had the Gators against South Carolina. Uh, thought off of what you saw from him against Florida State. Yeah, the past couple games I've done of him, he's uh, gone off for some good performances. 16 for 133 against Vanderbilt, 18 for 159 against a good South Carolina defense. He's kind of a leggy, upright runner, but he's so physical, and he runs with a real bruising style. Mm. He always falls forward, loves to uh, generate uh, forward lean through contact. He had 20 carries for 88 yards and a touchdown. Nothing too impressive, but just very physical runs. Reminds me a little bit of Josh Adams here in Philadelphia. Interesting. I know Josh Adams is more in the 6'1", 6'2", very upright, more of a Latavius Murray-style runner, but just having those long legs, that upright style, and just being a bruising running back, it, you know, just kind of see those similar traits. Sure, yeah. No, he's he is an impressive guy. I'm excited to really dig deep into him because anytime I watch the Gators, he's run hard and he's got that physical style to him uh, that I really like. But a couple of the guys blocking up in front of him, we've talked about the tackles. Martez Ivy, the senior left tackle, big-bodied kid, freakishly long arms. Jawan Taylor, uh, who's the junior right tackle, he was on Todd McShay's big board that was released last yeah, 12th week. 12th overall. It's yeah. really, really high. But we haven't really talked at all about the two guards there, Fred Johnson and Tyler Jordan. I know nothing about either guy. Tell me what you like about them. They just have been standing out each week. I've been watching this Florida run game for the past couple of weeks. He's done four games. Everyone you know, has the attention on those hot recruit tackles, Martez Ivy and Juwan Taylor, like you were mentioning. But they have two senior guards, Tyler Jordan at left, ta- or left guard and Fred Johnson at right guard. Johnson's absolutely enormous. He's at 6'5", 6'6", 330. Tyler Jordan's a little bit more of a mobile guard. He's a great polar. But they're both seniors with a lot of on-field experience. They've had inconsistent careers. They've been up-and-down players. Jordan's been benched up-and-down throughout his career. But they're seniors and just guys I'd like to maybe see get invites to the Senior Bowl late in the process to see what else they can add to the resume for the NFL. Sure. It'll be interesting to see where they end up in this pre-draft process. Uh, let's go over to the other side. Obviously, we've talked a lot about Ja'Kai Polite. I'm interested to get your thoughts on him after seeing him again live again. But let's talk about his linemate, Jabari Zaniga, as well. So Zaniga's a really interesting player. He showed up on the freak list over the summer, 7.9% body fat, some great off-season workouts with a 9-11 broad jump, 33-inch vertical, racking 225, 27 reps of. He's a very good player. He obviously is putting in the work off the field and in the weight room. He was my player that I keep comparing back to Alabama three years ago in the Ryan Anderson, Tim Williams. Hmm. He's the Ryan Anderson to Ja'Kai Polite's Tim Williams. 
I just think he's a more well-rounded football player. He's obviously got more weight than Ja'Kai Polite. He'll slide into three-tech and some sub-packages. Do you think that's something he can do at the next level? Like, I think so, yes, stuff? exactly. And I think you know he kind of fits that Brandon Graham mold where we've seen him slide into three-tech in some situations as well. He's a really good run defender on early downs. And that's what I saw this week against Florida State. I thought he showed some twitchiness against interior offensive linemen. He set some physical edges. He showed he could get upfield, getting after the passer. And then in combination with you know his production as a pass rusher and his off-the-field workouts, I just think he's a really interesting prospect. He doesn't have that elite trait that Ja'Kai Polite does, but he's just a well-rounded football player. Similar, I guess, in some ways, and I haven't studied Zaniga yet, but uh, the kid from a couple years ago, that went to the Chicago Bears in the third round. Um, I can't think of his name from Florida. Uh, Bullard, Jonathan Bullard. Jonathan Bullard, yeah. Similar in that way in some Yeah, ways. Jonathan Bullard was probably a heavier uh, player. I think he was more in the 260, 270 defensive end. It's probably a more natural fit to be a defensive tackle at the next level, but similar type of versatility along the defensive line. Gotcha. All right, well, one guy that has already declared for the draft, we talked about him a little bit earlier with Tony, and that's the safety, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. Now, you've seen him now. Is it four times or five times yeah, four, live? T- four times this year. And I know in previous years he was also a starter then, so you've seen him now a bunch of times. Thoughts on Chauncey Gardner-Johnson and how he's going to translate to the NFL? He isn't this bruising back-end safety that's going to cover a lot of ground and lay big hits, but he's a very intriguing prospect for the next level because he's a cover safety. He's a guy who could come down, match him up against tight ends. He could survive against slot receivers. He's a good blitzer. He can survive and run support. He's just a really well-rounded football player that compared to a lot of those hybrid players in last year's class, whether it was Justin Reed or Dane Kruishank or MJ Stewart coming out of North Carolina. These are players that can wear a lot of hats for a defensive coordinator at the next level. I know in that, in that South Carolina game, there were times where he was matched up on Debo a couple, in the red zone, and they left him with no help. So exactly. Yeah, so he's a great them. athlete. He handles business in space. He's got some twitchiness. He's you know a pretty fluid athlete. He's got the long speed. He's got the coverage instincts. He already declared for the draft, but he did tell the Florida faithful that he is committed to playing in the bowl game, which I love to see, that he's not mm-hmm. leaving his team and he's going to finish out the season. Hey, did, uh, did Nyquan Murray flash at all in this game, the Florida State receiver? No, he struggled. Uh, he couldn't really uh, get open down the field, and when he did get open, that's when Francois really wasn't accurate with the football. Interesting. All right, well, let's get to uh, some of the superlatives here. Our one-play takeaway. What is uh, one play walking away from Florida, Florida State, uh, that you're going to remember come draft time? So the one-play takeaway... All right, so I had to decide between two plays here. we got to give a lo- little love to the Florida State side of the ball. I know they got the doors blown off 41-14, but we're going to give some love to the players sure. on their side of the ball. Brian Burns, he did some things in this game that aren't going to show up in the stat sheet. He set a real physical edge early on that DeMarcus Christmas name came from the backside and cleaned up. Mm. Nothing that's going to show up in the stat sheet for Brian Burns, but set a real physical edge against Martez Ivy. And then later on in the game in the red zone, he was actually a QB spy on third down, playing on the second level, Interesting. pursued the quarterback as Felipe Franks was flushed out of the pocket and forced a throw away. So two plays that won't show up in the stat, sheet, stat sheets, but it's a guy doing his job, and he's a very productive player. So I'm glad that that was the second play because I was just going to ask you, because we've seen Ja'Kai Polite used in that way sometimes. At that second level, is almost a QB spy. Now that you've seen both guys live, how do you compare both of those underclassmen? 
I just think Ja'Kai Polite has that elite trait to really hang his hat on, whether it's that first step explosion or the ability to bend and flatten to the quarterback. Everybody wants that explosive edge rusher, and Ja'Kai Polite is pretty much the cream of the crop if you want that elite guy to kind of terrorize quarterbacks off the edge. Brian Burns is more of a well-rounded football player. He's a guy that can hang on the field in first and second downs. He plays the run extremely well. He's got a bag of pass rushing tricks. He's been on the field since, I want to say, his freshman year, so he's got a lot of on-field time and experience. So I think Brian Burns is probably the more well-rounded player, but Ja'Kai Polite has that one exciting trait to get uh, NFL scouts kind of salivating. And Burns has some of that juice, too. Like He's got a little bit of that flexibility. That He does. He's got some of that. He's got a little bit of that, and he's a very technical player. He loves to use his hands, so in combination with his flexibility, the hand usage, he's a very well-rounded player. Love it. All right, well, let's get to the -the off-the-bus guy. Who impressed you most physically in pregame? So this guy walked past me in warm-ups with the receivers and the tight ends. I'm like, oh, who is this good-looking player? It was actually Jaquiz Patrick. Who's a kid's a house? He's just a shade under six four for a running back, and I'm just wondering, can this kid catch? Because he looks like a tight end, and he's mm. thick. He's not some rail running back. He's got some weight on him. He's two thirty, just under six four. He walked past me, and I was wondering, who is that tight end? He looks pretty good. I looked up his number, Jaquiz Patrick, backup running back. Not really sure where he's going to factor in at the yeah. next level. I know Bo Scarborough is kind of a similar uh, style running back that fizzled out with the Cowboys in the off season. So. But it only takes one team to want that big, imposing running back. If you want that LeGarrette Blunt-style player to uh, you know, run between the tackles, that could be Patrick. I, I watched him over the summer. I'm pulling up my notes on him right, right now real quick on my phone because I kind of liked him. Like he wasn't – you saw – you mentioned, I mean, he's 6'3 and change. He's 240 pounds, like big-bodied kid, just rare size. I loved him in pass pro. Like that was one thing that I remember standing out to me when I when I watched him over the summer. I haven't watched his senior film yet, but I loved him as a blocker. Yeah, and just like Joe uh, Bo Scarborough, there's not a lot of tread on the tires. No, it's been a crowded backfield. He's had to split, you know, carries whether it was Dalvin Cook when he was, uh, you know, a freshman or sophomore. Or now they have Cam Akers, who's a really exciting player. Uh, sophomore form in the backfield, so he's always split time, so there's not a lot of tread on the tires, so he should be fresh, and uh, if an NFL team wants to consider him at running back, he'll be uh, an intriguing option. I, I'm assuming this is because he's not draft eligible, but I would have thought that your one play takeaway would have been that catch by Cam Akers. I had we it up. in my notes, and that's a play <laughs> you've been tracking for about two years now, getting the yeah. jet sweep, the over route, and getting that running back down the seam out of the backfield. Cam Akers uh, had a beautiful one-handed touchdown on that play. Well, well Cam Akers is an example of a guy that you could use as the down-the-road freak show, but uh, you went another route for that category this week. Who, who is your down-the-road freak show from this game? So this shouldn't be a surprise to anybody in scouting circles. Marvin Wilson, who is a you know a highly coveted, everybody in the country want him, defensive tackle, five-star. He's 6'5", 317. He's a bowling ball. He's kind of a dancing panda, how do you, a how dancing do you, bear there in the trenches. How do you like compare? Like Who does he remind you stylistically of? He's, he reminds me a little bit, just off a of first glance, kind of like a Linval Joseph. Okay. So he's big, he's stout, he, but he's got some explosiveness. He can get upfield. He loves to move players. Very strong in his hands. Not really sure what he can do for you rushing the passer at this point. Yep. He's got some huge, huge wind-up moves. So he loves to go with this rip move That's right, where yeah. he has this big wind-up and tries to rip <laughs> right through an interior offensive lineman or these huge hump moves and swap moves where he's winding up like he's about to take a tennis forehand and just wants to clear the center out of his way. It's a lot of fun to watch. He's a big player and he's a strong player. Yeah, he's a, an interesting guy on film for sure. Um, all right, well, let's get into this week because uh, you have the week off, sir. I do. I When's do. the last time that you had the, your Saturday off? 
Uh, I want to say we're on 13 or 14 straight weeks on the road. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's disappointing to not have one of these championship games, but no one's really complaining to uh, have a weekend off here. When do you find uh, your, bowl, your bowl assignments out? Should be in the next 10 days or so. Once these conference championship games, you know, get on, in the books, yep. that's pretty much it for college football season. And then the uh, bowl committees can start plugging away, and we find out who has the, the marquee bowl games. I was going to say, do you find out before the teams are announced, or do you find out, like, after all that is It's announced? typically after the uh, the teams and all the bowls are slated. Okay. But there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of schedules to consider, the announcer's schedules. Um, so it's not always just, hey, we want the best game. You're going to get the best game. There's a lot of moving parts to it. So I figured since you have the weekend off, I know, you know you're probably going to be watching college football. We'll talk about some of these big games here, the conference title weekend. Now, it's not just the conference titles this weekend. There are some makeup games. You know, there's some interesting ones with like Virginia Tech Marshall. You know, Iowa State plays this week. But who are we kidding? It's those conference it's all about championship the conference games, games that yeah, are going to get most eyeballs. No question. So I figured we'd kind of go game by game here with the Power Five conference titles so we're, we're skipping the AAC and uh, you know the the Sun Belt and the Mac but we're going to go with some of these bigger games and just pick one prospect each game and just get a feel for what who are we excited to watch and why so let, I'll start with you let's start Friday night eight o'clock Eastern we've got Utah Washington Pac-12 title game who are you excited to see in that game and why Utah Washington there's a corner that's getting a lot of buzz are we talking Byron Murphy absolutely not we're actually talking the other side on Utah's defense Julian Black Blackman. It's a 6'1", 190-pound junior. Had a pick six last week against BYU to spring mm. the comeback. They were down 20 nothing at the time. Ended up coming back, winning 35-27. The only issue with him, he's got a little bit of a lazy technique. Uh, he gets a little bit lost sometimes. I know we were just watching a little bit of him against Nikhil Harry, yep. uh, where he's in press coverage, where he had his eyes in the backfield, and Harry had a wicked jab move uh, to the dig and was able to run away. But he's got ball skills. He's a fluid athlete. He's got a good pedal. He had four picks last year. He's already got seven PBUs this year. If you just clean up the technique errors and the mental lapses, he's got all the tools and the length to be a premier corner at the next level. So I'm going to go with one of his teammates in the secondary, and that is uh, uh, Marquise Blair, who was announced for the Senior Bowl. I wrote about him this week in the Saturday Scouting article on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and compared him to a former Eagles great in safety, Andre Waters, who played in the early 90s. And, you know, watching Marquise Blair, he's a little bit skinny. He's an explosive athlete. He's a little bit stiff. He's not, he's not a real stiff, but he's a little bit stiff in the back end. I think he's better served playing close to the line of scrimmage. The concern will be his weight and his bulk and his play strength. But don't let the size fool you because this guy can wallop people. One of the biggest hitters that I've evaluated over the last couple of years, uh, whether it's downhill or in coverage, uh, this guy will smack receivers over the middle of the field as well. So watching Marquise Blair against you know Miles Gaskin and you know the rest of this Washington offense, I think will be really, really interesting. That's going to be the one guy I'll keep, be keeping an eye on here on Friday night. So uh, let's get now to the Big 12 title. That's going to be Saturday at noon, uh, Texas against Oklahoma. And, and one player that I'm excited to watch will be wide receiver Hollywood Brown. Marquise Brown, uh, who is a junior, he's not, he hasn't declared for the draft or anything yet, but if you're looking for speed at the wide receiver position, it doesn't get much better in this class than Hollywood Brown. Now, he is a little bit smaller. I want to say he's in that like 175-pound range, so you're, you're giving up something there, but this is a guy who can flat-out fly. I mean, we were watching a little bit of Oklahoma's offense. You know, Kyler Murray, the quarterback, can run. Marquise Brown, can also run. That guy can fly. They've got a lot of speed on that offense. You know, he's a little undersized, but then you look at the Tyree Hills of the world or the Taylor Gabriels of the world in Chicago, and I feel like offensive coordinators, if you have speed, they'll find a way to use you, yep. you know, and get the most out of your abilities. 
but who somebody Hollywood Brown will be seeing on the other side, corner Chris Boyd for Texas, a really interesting player. He flashed on the tape last year to me as I was studying his corner on the other side, Holton Hill. He had 15 PBUs last year. The only issue is he's been getting cooked by double moves all season yep. long. Okie State's Tylen Wallace actually you know, baptized him uh, a couple weeks ago. But he's a big physical corner. They had the win a couple weeks ago against Oklahoma, so I'm really interested to see the the rematch and how they're going to uh, hang in this uh, this matchup again. Yeah, this was it was an interesting game. He was a guy that I spotlighted going into the time that these first uh, teams first met earlier in the season. Interesting matchup there for sure. All right, let's go to a little bit later in the day, four o'clock. We've got. Alabama, Georgia, SEC title. Everybody thinks this is like a quarterfinal for uh, the college football playoff. I think if Alabama loses, they're still in regardless. But Alabama, Georgia, give me one player you're excited to see. So we're going to take a look at Georgia corner DeAndre Baker. And I think we're both a little bit down on him compared to the collective opinion. I've seen him in some first-round mocks over the past past couple weeks. Yeah, Yeah, top 15. You know, I've seen him in the conversation with Byron Murphy and Greedy Williams. I think this is going to be the game that gets him out of all the first-round discussion. I think he's really going to struggle against Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs. The one issue I have with DeAndre Baker is his twitchiness and his long speed, his ability to click and close. Those are all things that those Alabama receivers do extremely well. I just do not like this matchup for Baker. It's going to be very, very interesting to see how he fares against that receiving core. Because so much, I mean, so much talent on that Alabama pass game like that. It's going to be very interesting to see how that goes for Baker. Uh, I'm going to go on the other side of the field. We're going to go Damian Harris, the running back there for for Alabama. Uh, struggled a little bit in protection the last time these two teams met in the, in the title game last year. I'm excited to see how he fares there, and also just running the football. It's going to be one of the toughest defensive fronts. He's faced all season long. He's not given a heavy workload on a weekly, week-to-week basis. We talked about it a little bit earlier with Jacquez Patrick. Damian Harris, whoever gets him next year, there's going to be plenty of tread left on those tires, which I'm excited about. I love Damian Harris. He's probably my favorite senior running back in this class. I'm interested to see how he looks in this game. Do you have a key or a path to Georgia winning this game? They got to control the football. They got to run, they got to run the football, grind it out. It's got to be it's going to in order for Georgia to win, it's got to be like, you know, 20 to 17. Like that's if they try and get into a into a track meet, it's going to turn into a boat race. Like Georgia, Alabama will run away. Yeah, and I thought Auburn showed a little bit of a recipe to how to uh, kind of ruffle Alabama's feathers, you know, especially Alabama's offense. You just need somebody to disrupt on that defensive side of the yes. ball. I don't know whether it's going to be Ledbetter or that uh, really good defensive tackle, the nose tackle up there. Yep. Uh, right there's, there's Hayes. There's a couple of those guys in there on the inside. I get a little worried, you know, losing Roquan Smith and uh, Lorenzo Carter and yep. some of those elite talent that they had in that front seven last year, but you have to disrupt up front first and foremost. No question. All right, well, let's get to now the evening games. There's two left, and there's two at 8 o'clock, which sucks because now we've got to pick between these two games. Uh, we're going to start with the ACC title game, Clemson against Pitt. I'm going to go with Christian Wilkins, my player, because he's my number one senior entering the season. I love what this guy can do on the field. I think he's going to be a really good th- uh, three technique at the next level has some D end versatility. I don't think he's going to be a D end at the next level, but love his motor, love his play personality. He's athletic. He's pretty stout. He does need to get a little bit better at the point of attack against double teams. That can be something that gives him issues, but love what Christian Wilkins brings to the table. And there's going to be no rollovers on that pit offensive line. There's no, you know, great prospects on the O line, but they have four seniors and all really solid players. They like to control the ball. They're 17th in rushing, 232 yards on the ground. 
it's going to come down to that redshirt senior running back Olsen. He's 6'2", 230, mm-hmm. ran for 235 against Virginia Tech, but he's such a hot and cold runner. His games where he's over 150 yards, and he's got some games where he's under 30 yards. So they're going to need to control the ball with him. But I really like this defensive end on the other side, Rashad Weaver. He's only a redshirt sophomore. He's got five and a half sacks this year, 12 tackles for loss. He's someone that I think can disrupt that Clemson offense and maybe get after Trevor Lawrence. Interesting. Well, let's get into the next game. Playing at the same time, Saturday, 8 o'clock, Big Ten title, Ohio State versus Northwestern. Who are you excited about in this game? Listen, if somebody wants a signature game, Clayton Thorson's opportunity is here. It's Ohio State. It's a Big Ten championship game. It's not that same Ohio State defense. You don't have Nick Bosa out there. It's not the same safeties and corners that we've seen the past three, four, five years. They've been struggling on that back end. Clayton Thorson's very poised in the pocket. He's a pretty accurate player. Reminds me a little bit of Nate Sudfeld here in Philadelphia, Hmm. who uh, also Big Ten quarterback coming out of Indiana, also went to the Senior Bowl. Didn't have great team success at Indiana, but he had a lot of traits that you could see project to the next level. And I see the same thing with Clayton Thorson. Interesting. Well, I would agree with you that this is a big, big opportunity. Like if if Northwestern wins this game and Thorson run, you know, uh, throws for three hundred, runs for one hundred. He's gonna. I mean, everyone, he'll be the next hot prospect, and we'll, he's gonna be in mock drafts. But this like, is the opportunity. This, this is, is it. This, if he wants a signature win to get on scouts' radars, go beat Ohio State. Yeah. Well, one of the guys I think that's gonna keep that from happening. You look at the, the defensive line for Ohio State because I agree with you. The back seven has not been good, but I think that front you still have a lot of talent. Chase Young is a true sophomore defensive end, but watch the red shirt junior uh, defensive tackle Draymond Jones, a guy that's been on my radar for a while. I've compared him in the past to a Sheldon Richardson type of player, high motor kid. He's really athletic. I love his ease of movement, uh, his ability to impact the quarterback and play the run as well. I think that he can do both of those things at a pretty high level. I'm a, I'm a pretty big believer in Draymond Jones. Inconsistent play is a big concern, but I think that the guy has, shows enough good to be one of uh, you know the best in this class. I know you're a fan of his as well. I am, and you know the inconsistent play. I feel like we've had that kind of label on some prospects over the past couple of years. And it's starting to uh, you know, fall out of favor with NFL scouts. I feel like if you're flashing the ability, NFL coaching staffs will find ways to manage your snap counts, manage your workload, and make you a productive player without you know, playing you 80-90% of the snaps. Especially that position. No question. It's a very tiring position. You get worn down late in games. You really need to manage the workload for some of these interior players. Well, I'll be diving into a lot of these matchups here uh, in my Saturday scouting article, which you can find on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, or my Twitter feed at FDuffy3. Ben, we'll be back next week. We'll get your thoughts on all these games. We'll maybe have an idea of where you'll be at for both season. Probably not, but we'll talk about what we saw here in uh, on uh, the final weekend of college football uh, with Championship Weekend. But again, follow Ben on Twitter at BenFennel underscore NFL. All right, time to wrap up this show with some Q&A. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. All right, so this week for Draft Malbach, we're going to go to Twitter where Ryan Mahoney asks, is Josh Allen, the defensive end from Kentucky, is he an option for the Eagles? And I don't know, we're going to see where Josh Allen ends up in this draft. I think he's getting a lot of round one buzz now. I certainly like what I've seen from him on his senior film more than what I saw over the summer from 2017. I do think the added weight has really helped him, but you've got a guy who plays at 3-4 outside linebacker, so a little bit of a transition for him. He wasn't always asked to just put his ears back and go, and that's what he would do as a defensive end in the Eagles scheme. He dropped in coverage a lot, played a lot in space, so we'll see what that transition would be like for him, but he is certainly an intriguing player. I think when it's all said and 
done, number one, I think he's going to blow up the combine, and that certainly could help him. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see where he ultimately ends up because it is a very deep group of defensive linemen and pass rushers, like we've said. So, you know, will he be in the first round? Gun, you know, gun to my head right now, I kind of feel like he will be, but it'll be interesting to see just how high he does go. And then uh, schematically, yeah, I think you know he he's the kind of player that the Eagles certainly look for, and that he can get upfield. He's got that explosive first step, especially from that three point stance. When he does put his hand in the dirt, he does have the ability to attack upfield, uh, and he's gotten so much better as a pass rusher this year, especially late in games, coming up with some of those clutch plays. Scouts are going to love that. You know, they they want to see how do you shine in the biggest moments in the biggest games against the biggest opponents I, I to me those are the, those are the plays that are really going to stick in the crawl of NFL scouts as you know something to remember Josh Allen by so I think that that he certainly is going to be in that first round discussion we'll see uh, how high he ultimately goes and then uh, one more question comes from Taylor Bolton on Twitter Fran what are your thoughts on the off the ball linebackers in this draft also I know it's early as far as who is declared for the draft but what positions do you see as the positions of strength outside of D line this year well Taylor good question I would say for the second part, I think wide receiver is pretty strong. I think there are some really interesting options there. We'll see who ends up declaring, but overall I think that there's some really interesting options, both inside and outside, depending on what you're looking for. Uh, there are some interesting running backs in this class, probably not as strong as what we've seen in years past, but certainly some names there. If I had to guess after that, I mean, edge rushers, there are certainly some players that, that really intrigue me, intrigue me. I think there are some intriguing safeties as well in this class. So you're talking about a lot of positions that people feel are, are good for the Eagles in terms of addressing. So I think that's a good sign uh, for the folks upstairs here in terms of trying to address some positions of need uh, on this football team moving into the offseason. It's going to be really interesting to see how they atta- try to attack it. As far as off-the-ball linebackers, I think it's a pretty good group overall. I mean, I just watched uh, Jermaine Pratt. Uh, I watched him again off his senior film. Uh, that's the linebacker, a senior from NC State. Really big physical kid, former safety. I think that's been a, a really interesting trend with the guys that are going to the Senior Bowl so far. The three that were announced earlier this week, uh, you had Drew Tranquil from Notre Dame, Chase Hansen from Utah, uh, and then uh, the kid from Notre Dame or from NC State, Pratt. All three of those guys began their careers as college safeties and then made that transition to the linebacker position and I think when you look at Pratt he's a big physical kid he's got really good size he attacks downhill he's pretty instinctive Uh, I do worry a little bit about about his athleticism which you wouldn't expect from a guy who played safety early in his career but that was a little bit of a question mark for me I really like Tavon Coney who's Tranquil's teammate uh, at Notre Dame he's one of my favorites in the senior class I like TJ Edwards a lot from Wisconsin he's a a former high school quarterback uh, and a guy that really to me is very instinctive he's a four-year starter can play in coverage, not necessarily because of his athleticism, but because of his instincts. I think he's a really instinctive player, can play sideline to sideline. I've talked a little bit about Terrell Hanks from New Mexico State. He's going to be at the senior role. He's kind of built for today's game in that he's a really athletic kid, can play sideline to sideline as well as moving in reverse. And then Jordan Jones is undersized. He's under 220 pounds, but he's 6'2". He's another guy who I think sees things pretty well. He's tough and instinctive downhill, high motor kid, has that closing speed. He's another player that really intrigues me. And as far as the underclassman, Mac Wilson from Alabama, uh, has re- he really, really piqued my interest back in the summer. Only started a couple games last year. This is his first full year as a starter. Anytime you watch Alabama, it's hard not to see number 30 just flying around, whether it's downhill against the run or even in coverage. He's made some great plays in coverage out over the course of his career. So a lot of really interesting linebackers. You know, Devin White from LSU, Devin Bush from Michigan, uh, Trey Lamar from Clemson. 
Jackson is getting some love. It's it's a good group overall of off the ball linebackers. So really good questions from both of you guys. And again, uh, if you ever want to jump in. Twitter is a great way to do it, but go onto our Apple podcast page and give us a listen and leave us a comment. That, that's the fastest way to get on the show. Great stuff from Tony Pauline, Ben Fennell, Steve Palazzolo, and all of you out there listening, whether you're on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, or any of our podcast platforms. Thank you again for listening, as always, to the Journey to the Draft podcast. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you next week.